0: Welcome to Condensed Matter, condensing recent work in metaphysics and the philosophy of science down to what matters. I'm your host, Sam Kington nyall focus of this episode is Governing Without a Fundamental Direction of Time, Minimal Primitivism About Laws of Nature by Eddie Kemming Chen and Sheldon Goldstein. This is forthcoming in Rethinking Laws of Nature, edited by Yamima Ben-Menehem. Examples of laws of nature include Newton's laws of motion, the Schrodinger equation for the evolution of a quantum mechanical system, Coulomb's law of electrostatic attraction, Snell's law of refraction, and so on. Laws of nature concern what goes on in the universe in a very general sense, and they allow us to make predictions, provide explanations, and design new pieces of technology. For these reasons, laws of nature are of central concern to scientists. Scientists seek to discover laws of nature, and they put laws to important work in investigating the world and designing new scientific equipment. But there is also a long history of philosophical interest in the laws of nature. Philosophers are less concerned with discovering the laws of our universe and with using those laws. Instead, philosophers investigate the nature of laws of nature. Perhaps the central philosophical question about laws of nature is something along the lines of, what kind of thing is a law of nature? In this paper, Chen and Goldstein survey the main contemporary philosophical accounts of laws of nature before articulating and defending their own favoured account, according to which laws are entities that constrain what goes on in the world. So let's first think about four prominent accounts of laws found in the contemporary philosophical literature. According to Humean reductionism, laws are not ontologically basic entities. They're not primitive. Rather, they reduce to something else, Namely, they reduce to facts about the spatio-temporal distribution of properties because they describe that distribution. On this view, the universe is analogous to a vast pixelated grid extended in four dimensions, three spatial and one time dimension. The pixels are point-sized space-time regions. Properties are scattered throughout the four-dimensional manifold, instantiated at these space-time points. The laws of nature then describe this distribution of properties in a way that is particularly efficient. More precisely, laws are axioms, and perhaps also theorems, of the deductive systematisation of this information about the distribution of properties that best balances the virtues of informativeness and simplicity. Platonic reductionism is the view according to which laws of nature reduce to relations between platonic universals. Perhaps, for example, it's a law that all electrons are negatively charged. On this view, then, This means that there is a universal corresponding to the kind electron and one to the property negative charge. And crucially, there's also a higher order necessitation relation that holds between these universals and which ensures that if anything is an electron, then it is also negatively charged. And this is what it is for it to be a law that all electrons are negatively charged. Aristotelian reductionism also seeks to reductively explain laws in terms of properties, but not properties understood as platonic universals. Rather, this view understands concrete physical properties as closely tied up with dispositions. For example, mass is associated with a disposition to warp space-time. One version of Aristotelian reductionism, dispositional essentialism, maintains that such dispositions constitute the essences of properties. So a disposition to warp space-time is of the essence of the property mass. Laws then reduce to the dispositional relations constitutive of property essences. Recently, a slightly different version of Aristotelian reductionism has emerged, according to which laws do not reduce to the dispositions constitutive of property essences, rather they describe how essentially dispositional properties are possibly distributed throughout space-time. This is similar to Humean reductionism, except it views properties as metaphysically determining the evolution of the universe over time. The Humean, by contrast, sees properties as metaphysically inert. Hence, on this view, laws describe possible distributions of properties, not just the actual distribution. Finally, Maudlinian primitivism, named after Tim Maudlin, maintains that laws are basic entities that cannot be reduced to anything else. More specifically, Laws, according to Maudlin, are fundamental laws of temporal evolution. These laws operate on the universe by producing later states of the universe from earlier ones, in accordance with the fundamental direction of time. Hence, it is a key part of Maudlin's view that there is, in fact, a fundamental direction of time. Chen and Goldstein defend what they call minimal primitivism about laws. They agree with Maudlin against the other three views that laws are metaphysically fundamental that laws cannot be reduced to anything else. But where they disagree with Maudlin is on the idea that laws must dynamically produce later states of the universe from earlier ones. They reject a fundamental direction of time. This, in turn, means that on their view there are no restrictions on the form that laws of nature must take. Quite simply, laws, according to minimal primitivism, govern the behaviour of material objects by constraining physical possibilities. Furthermore, Chen and Goldstein maintain that certain theoretical virtues such as simplicity and informativeness are good epistemic guides to what the laws of nature are, though these virtues are not constitutive of what it is to be a law. It's rational to use simplicity and informativeness in the search for laws, but the method is ultimately fallible because laws are fully objective and mind-independent entities. Preempting concerns about the nature of the notion of governance – Chen and Goldstein suggest that laws govern by constraining the world in a way analogous to how logical laws and mathematical truths constrain the world. We couldn't possibly have a situation where you have two eggs and I have two eggs, and yet between us we have five eggs. Nor could it possibly be the case that a cat was both dead and not dead at the same time. Importantly, this notion of governance by constraint does not require a fundamental distinction between the past and the future. This, Chen and Goldstein argue, is important because many good candidates for scientific laws do not seem to describe the production of future states of the universe from some past state. So in this respect, they maintain that their minimal primitivism is superior to Maudlinian primitivism. Minimal primitivist laws then explain by providing surprisingly simple constraints which give rise to complex real-world behaviour. Chen and Goldstein offer some comparisons between their view and the four views outlined earlier. The key differences between minimal primitivism and Humean reductionism are the following. According to Humean reductionism, there's no more basic explanation of how properties are distributed throughout space-time. This is just a brute, unexplained fact. Minimal primitivism, by contrast, explains the distribution of properties and matter in terms of constraints imposed by the primitive laws. Furthermore, Theoretical virtues such as simplicity and informativeness are constitutive of what it is to be a law according to Humean reductivism. This leads some to worry that Humean laws are objectionably mind-dependent. Theoretical virtues are in no way constitutive of what it is to be a law on the minimal primitivist account. Unlike platonic reductionism, minimal primitivism is not committed to an ontology of platonic universals and higher-order necessitation relations between those universals. The authors claim this as a benefit because some find universals too strange to believe in, and it remains obscure how the necessitation relation is supposed to do its necessitating work. Furthermore, the platonic view requires that all laws ultimately take the form all A's are B's. This is something that the authors find implausible, and it is a benefit of their minimal primitivism that it is not so restrictive on the form that laws may take. Aristotelian reductionism posits fundamental dispositions as part of its ontology. Minimal primitivism carries no such commitment to dispositions, which Chen and Goldstein take as an advantage of their view. It is also the case that at least some versions of Aristotelian reductionism are committed to a fundamental direction of time, something that minimal primitivism avoids. Similarly, Maudlinian primitivism requires a fundamental direction of time and the notion of dynamic production. Laws dynamically produce future states from past states. Minimal primitivism carries no such commitments, which is supposed to be an advantage of the view because there is some evidence from physics that the universe lacks a fundamental direction of time, and not all laws of nature have a form that is amenable to this idea of producing later states from earlier ones. Most simply, Chen and Goldstein express scepticism about the very notion of dynamical production. This seems like an obscure metaphysical notion that they admit failing to understand. Minimal primitivism about laws, according to which laws simply constrain what is possible for the matter in the universe, does strike me as a quite attractive alternative to Maudlinian primitivism, given the latter's commitment to the notion of dynamic production. In general, I think that the basic notion of constraint is an important one that is capable of doing important work in the philosophy of laws of nature. However, I'm still uncomfortable with primitive governing laws in general. Instead of outsourcing constraining power to primitive laws of nature, I'd be more inclined to suggest that the matter in the universe and properties that matter instantiates is capable of doing all the constraining work for which the authors posit primitive governing laws. Laws may then be understood as descriptions of how the matter is possibly arranged in space-time given that matter's self-imposed constraints, if you like. This may sound like Aristotelian reductionism, and maybe it is, But contrary to what Chen and Goldstein suggest, we needn't flesh the idea out in terms of commitment to fundamental dispositions or dispositional essences or dynamical production or anything like that. I think we can say quite simply that matter constrains how it is possibly distributed because of how it is, where how the matter is needn't be articulated in terms of dispositions. Putting the constraining power back with the material constituents of the universe then obviates the need for governing laws as an additional ontological ingredient of our universe, which then makes for a more attractively parsimonious metaphysical landscape. Full disclosure, I have defended a version of Aristotelian reductionism in print, and this is pretty much what I'm getting at here. Thanks for listening to Condensed Matter. Please rate and review the show on your favourite app so that more people can find it. There's also a link to the show's Patreon page in the episode notes. Your support will help towards the costs associated with hosting and production and will lead to improvements in your future listening experience. Patrons of the show will also get the chance to suggest articles and guests for future episodes.